I wanna kick things off today by asking you guys a question. And here it is. What would it mean for us as a church if we were devoted to our purpose the same way that the early church was devoted to theirs? Well, like Pastor Mike said, I'm Pastor Will, and today what I wanna do is talk to you about this idea that when a church is devoted to its purpose, it's unstoppable in its mission. When a church, a called out group of believers, is devoted to its purpose, it is unstoppable in its mission. Can you guys say the word unstoppable? unstoppable. I really like that word. It uh, reminds me of the Chicago Bulls from uh, the early 90s, led by Michael Jordan. Incredible in t- uh, team, basketball team. Uh, many people would agree that this, this uh, unit was unstoppable, right? And, uh, and so in the early 90s, the Chicago Bulls uh, went uh, three uh, years winning the championship, right? They call it a three-peat. I think it was the first time since uh, the Celtics had done it, um, but the Chicago Bulls did it. They went on a three-peat, and they earned themselves uh, the title, the Unstop uh, Bulls, right? How many of you guys remember that? Yeah, what a phenomenal team, right? Now, here's a question. What was their secret sauce? What was their secret sauce? What made them great? Was it Michael Jordan? Some might argue that it was. Was it their coaching staff? Was it the, the, the players as a whole? You know what I think it was? I think it was their devotion to their purpose. And so whether it was Michael Jordan and the team, whether it was the coaches, or hey, even the, the, the owners down to the uh, equipment managers, what I believe is that this team was devoted to its purpose and therefore it became unstoppable, right? And, and, and isn't that true? Like when a team is committed, when they are devoted to their purpose, they become unstoppable and extraordinary things can happen. Unless, of course, you're the Dallas Cowboys, and then every year, you're gonna find a way to mess it up no matter what, right? I mean, those guys, they can't get it figured out. But anyway, I still think it's true that when a team is devoted to its purpose, extraordinary things can happen. This was true uh, for the early 90s Bulls, and it was also true for the early church, which was born in the second book of Acts. Now, for those of you who might be a little bit unfamiliar with the story, let me give you a snapshot of the birth of the early church. So 50 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jewish pilgrims from all over the land traveled to Jerusalem for a festival uh, called Shavuot, uh, which we would know as Pentecost or the festival of weeks. And so Jewish pilgrims traveled all the way to Jerusalem. And you've got, you know, in, the, in this moment, there are thousands and thousands of Jews packed into Jerusalem. They're celebrating the beginning of the wheat harvest. They're celebrating uh, the giving of the Torah or the book of law uh, from the Old Testament. And they're, they're there together. And then something extraordinary happens. Acts chapter two, verses two and three tell us that the Holy Spirit, which was both prophesied and promised by Jesus, comes down. And the Holy Spirit fills and empowers the apostles. And they begin to speak in tongues. And they begin to do signs and miracles and wonders. And they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that on that day, the day of Pentecost, that about 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. That day, the church 
was born. And can I just tell you something about the early church? The early church was unstoppable. They were devoted to the purposes that, that God gave them, and they were unstoppable. Now, what was their secret sauce? Was it the leadership of the apostles? Well, maybe, I'm sure that helped, right? Was it the really good kosher coffee that they served people when they gathered at the temple? I don't know, like maybe that contributed, but I'll tell you what I think their secret sauce was. I think their secret sauce was their devotion to their God-given purpose. I think their uh, secret sauce was being spirit-filled. And so you've got this group of people that say yes to Jesus. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They become devoted to their purpose. And man, nothing could stop them. Nothing could stop them. Like even in the face of conflict and controversy, even in the face of the Jewish religious leaders telling them, don't you dare speak about Jesus. This church was unstoppable. In fact, in Acts chapter six, verse seven, Luke tells us that the word of God through the early church increased during this time. Not only that, but a great number of disciples were made. And not only that, but get this, that even Jewish priests gave their life to Jesus. This young church was devoted and unstoppable. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church just like that, amen? And so to that end, what I wanna do today is I wanna take you on a journey through Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47, and what I wanna show you as we explore the devotion of the early church is that there are six marks that define them as an unstoppable church. Six marks that define them as an unstoppable church. Six marks that if we will allow to define us, we will also be an unstoppable church. Ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced that if this local church, Calvary PSL, will embody the same type of devotion that the early church had, we will be unstoppable in our mission of making lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Does that get anybody excited today? God can do it through us. God can do it through us, but it's gonna take our participation, and I wanna show you what that looks like today. By the way, did anybody come today without a Bible? I just found one. Who wants it? Who want, you want it? Come up here and get it. Come up here and get it. I'm trying to find Acts for you. Uh, Acts. Here, I'm, there you go. Oh, hold on. Almost there. Acts 2. There you go. Thank you so Enjoy. Much. Of course. You guys at Acts 2? Let's start in verse 41. The Bible says that those who received, say the next two words with me, his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So those who received his word, I wanna pause right there. Uh, what were the apostle Peter's words? What were his words? What was this message that they received? Well, if you would, uh, just real quickly, go with me back to verse uh, 22, and we'll, we'll read through um, 24. What, what were the Apostle Peter's words? 
the Apostle Peter's words were this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death. Why? Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then let's jump to verse 38. Peter kind of wraps up his sermon by saying this, that you all should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what was Peter's word? Well, it was Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. It was about Jesus being buried, but now alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. His word was about repentance and identifying with Jesus through baptism. And so what I think we can learn from Peter's words here and the example that was set with the early church is that number one, an unstoppable church is devoted to the true, everybody say true, gospel of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, if our local church is going to be unstoppable in its mission of making disciples, we must be devoted to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, too many churches today are exchanging the gospel for a counterfeit version. Whether it be a politically correct version where we're afraid to offend anybody and so all we talk about is love and we avoid issues like sin or whether it be a social version where we emphasize social issues and downplay the doctrines of sin, hell, and repentance. A lot of churches these days are abandoning the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't wanna offend anybody. They'd rather be tolerant and inclusive, right? But you can mark my words today, Calvary Port St. Lucie, not this church, not this church. We will remain true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will not lead this church or preach sermons uh, that are dictated by the culture. We will never allow the social gospel in here or any other counterfeit version. It's all about the true gospel of Jesus Christ here. And just so everybody's on the same page, here it is. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death or eternal separation from God in a place called hell. And I know that sounds like really bad news, and it is, but praise be to God, our loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly Father, because the free gift that he's given us is eternal life, listen to this, in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus said in Mark 1.15, if you'll repent and believe this gospel, you will be saved. That's the true gospel, and we're gonna remain devoted to it at Calvary Port St. Lucie. Look at verse 42. Luke goes on and says that they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles' doctrine, to the set of beliefs 
that were passed on from them. And so what we learn here is that not only does an unstoppable church uh, 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 focus and, and make a priority of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it also gathers around God's word. It makes God's word a priority. God's word is important to them. And I know that this point might seem obvious, but if we're being honest, a lot of so-called Christians and churches aren't devoted to the word of God. Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement said this. He said, it's tragic how few churches place a great priority on the word of God today. In many churches, you can learn more about psychology than you can the word of God. And it's sad, but it's true. These days, pastors are barely using the word of God in their messages. They are more about self-help and being so original that their message lacks good doctrine, if any doctrine at all. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be a part of a church that strives to be unoriginal to the extent that we do not create man-made doctrines and that we don't base our sermons on psychology or man's opinions. I wanna be a part of a church that gathers around the pure, unadulterated word of God. How about you? So I'm super grateful um, that for the last 12 years, I've been a part of the Calvary Chapel movement of churches because we major on the verse-by-verse study of God's word. And I'm so thankful for our pastor, Mike Wiggins, who is committed to feeding us a solid diet of the word of God. We've got something special going on here, just so you know. We really do. And so... You know, this idea of, 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 of making God's word a priority and gathering around God's word, it's a, it's a big part of who we are. Not just here in the weekend gatherings, but also in our discipleship environments, our classes, our, our groups. This is a big part, it's, this is the kind of culture that we wanna have here. And, and, and speaking of that kind of culture, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul told Pastor Timothy concerning the word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter four, verse six, Paul tells Timothy, if you, Pastor Timothy, put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And so what Paul is doing here is he's charging Timothy as a pastor to personally make teaching and preaching the word of God a priority. But then I want you to see this in 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul tells Timothy now that what he has heard from Paul in the presence of many witnesses, in other words, the, 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 the teaching, the set of beliefs, right, the doctrine that Paul has passed on to him. He said, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you now to entrust to faithful men, to entrust it to other people to do what? to teach also. What is Paul doing? Now he's encouraging Timothy to equip and unleash other people to make teaching the word of God a priority. What was Paul doing? He was creating a culture 
of gathering around God's word, whether it was Timothy as a pastor teaching a large group of people like this, or whether it was a large group of people like you gathering at homes, teaching one another. He was, he was encouraging a culture of gathering around God's word. And I'm convinced that if we're gonna be unstoppable in our mission as a local church, we must have the same culture, amen? Now Luke goes on in verse 42. And he says this, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And then I want you to look at verse 44 and, and uh, 46, because I think these, these things are tied together. In other words, Peter uh, says that they devoted themselves to, excuse me, Luke says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And I think he dis- kind of describes what fellowship looked like for them in verses 44 and 46, which say that all who believed were, say the word with me, together, and they had all things in what church? In common, okay, verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Uh, There's the first church potluck. Can I get an amen? Amen. Uh, But what, what, what was Luke trying to show us here? What Luke was trying to show us here is that an unstoppable church is devoted to doing life together. An unstoppable church is devoted to doing life together. So, so, so not only is an unstoppable church devoted to the true gospel of Jesus Christ and to gathering around God's word, but, but they also should be devoted to doing life together, okay? And, and this early church Man, they had a unique and special togetherness, right? That, that, that just marked their existence. Now, we often call it fellowship, which, by the way, is our best attempt at translating the original Greek word koinonia, right? But that's what they had. They had fellowship. They had koinonia. Now, that word koinonia means joint participation in or sharing something in common. The early church had a joint participation in Christ. They shared Christ in common. But what I want you to realize here from this passage is that their joint participation in, the fact that they shared Christ together, I want you to see that it impacted every area of their lives. Not just their gathering together on the weekends at the temple. No, it impacted their entire lives. Folks, they spent time together. They shared meals together. They participated in the Lord's Supper together. They were together a lot. Warren Wiersbe said this about the early church. He said, their faith was a day-to-day reality, not a -a once-a-week routine. You know, sadly, I think that a lot of us mistake our faith for, you know, a church service or a Bible study. But I came to tell you today that our faith is not just those things. I came to tell you today that that our faith is meant to be shared with one another. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 say it this way, that we should consider 
think about. We, like, we, we should, there, there's like a, there's a, there's a, a feeling of pause here, right? We, we need to stop, we need to consider, we need to think about this, right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, a lot of pastors use this passage to exhort people to make sure that they come to church, and I think that that, that is actually a very appropriate uh, application of this passage, but I think another appropriate application it extends beyond a church service. I think another appropriate application here is to exhort you guys about not neglecting to meet together outside of these four walls. We are called to meet up and to stir up. Do you see it? Let us, don't, don't neglect meeting together, right? Meet up, why? So that we can consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I don't know about you, but I really like that. That's like my favorite point. And we didn't, I didn't even make it a point. But we gotta meet up and stir up. Turn to the person next to you and say, meet up and stir up. Kind of sounds like an old-fashioned southern chili cook-off. But hey, whatever it takes for us to remember, right? Meet up and stir up. So I got a story for you guys about, about this and, and how I experienced this Friday. So Friday, I woke up and I had planned on spending some time, you know, polishing up my, my message for this weekend. But, you know, before I got to that, um, I had to go to the DMV. So normally we renew our tags um, online, uh, but when I went to renew my wife's tag, they said, sir, we're sorry, but your license plate number doesn't exist. And I'm going, what? This is the plate you sent me in the mail, what? Like, just come up here, we'll get it fixed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be all day, right? So I get to the DMV, I go inside. I am not kidding you, I was in and out in 10 minutes. I'm not kidding you. Like somebody needs to call Guinness Book of World Records and get this recorded. I was in and out in 10 minutes or less. And so I'm like, man, this is a great day. The Lord has, you know, been behind me. He's gone before me. I've got, I got this message I gotta polish up. Everything's good. And so I walk out to my car and I get in and I hit the push button start and nothing happens. <laughs> the car won't start. I'm like, oh man, what am I gonna do? And so I called Matt Messiano. I'm like, Matt, I think, I think I have a dead battery. Can you come and help me out? He's like, absolutely, I'm on my way. 30 minutes later, he shows up. He gives me a jump. We get this car started. He says, hey, I'm gonna follow you to AutoZone so you can get them to scan it. He goes with me to AutoZone. They scan it. They say, man, I'm so sorry. Your alternator is bad. I go, oh no, but wait. I have bumper-to-bumper -bumper warranty. I'll take it to the Honda dealership. Matt goes, I'll follow you there to make sure you get there. So he follows me all the way there. They're like, it's gonna be three, four hours. I said, no problem. Matt goes, let's go to lunch. We go to lunch. We sit down. We talk about our struggles. We encourage one another. We leave there. We go uh, attempt to do a hospital visit. He takes me back to the dealership, gives me a big hug, and that was it. 
And ladies and gentlemen, that right there is what I'm talking about when it comes to doing life together. That man gave up most of his day for me to take care of me. He gave up his time, probably a half a tank of gas, unless he asked me to pay for gas money. Is he here? Matt, are you gonna make me pay for gas? I hope not. That repair was expensive. Don't make me pay for gas. But no, do you see it? He, he, he gave up his time, his own resources to take care of a brother in need. And so here's the bottom line, folks. If we're gonna be unstoppable in our mission as a church, this type of doing life together, fellowship, koinonia, it's gotta be a priority. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. So Luke closes out verse 42 with this. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which I already mentioned briefly. Then he says this, that they also devoted themselves to prayer. And so the fourth thing that I think we can learn from the early church is that an unstoppable church is devoted to prayer. An unstoppable church is devoted to prayer. The early church understood the importance and the power of prayer. And I don't know if it was because many of them audibly heard Jesus teach about prayer. I don't know if it was because prayer was such a rich part of their Jewish history, but these folks were devoted to prayer. There was this relentless pursuit of God through prayer that existed within their fellowship. And I just think that it's like a lost art. Sadly, I think a lot of modern Christians and churches don't share that same devotion that the early church did to prayer. And, and think about this. You take a, a, a weekend church gathering like this, or, or, or maybe a Christian concert like Rock the Universe that happened Friday night in Orlando. Or, or you take a, a, a moment where uh, this like really popular Christian guest speaker is brought in. What, what happens? Massive crowds, right? Massive crowds, all the people come. All the people come. I mean, just look around right now. Did you know that this is the third time this weekend that this room has been full? Right, it's a weekend church gathering, massive crowd. Now you thought Pastor Mike was teaching, but, uh, <laughs> but you're here, right? Massive crowd. You came for the music, you came, you came for, the, uh, the, for the teaching of God's word. But you call a prayer meeting? And the sad truth is that only a faithful few show up. I see it every weekend, just so you know. Every weekend, you all come in in mass, 10, 15 minutes late. You get here for like the third song and the message. Guess how many people show up to our pre-gathering prayer huddle? Maybe five on a good day. Maybe five. Are we devoted to prayer? 
are we? Can we just be honest for a minute? Can we just do a little personal reflection here? Can we ask ourselves a question? Am I devoted to prayer like the early church was? I'm not sure that we are. And and so I just wanna ask you this morning, why aren't we continuing steadfastly in prayer as Colossians 4.2 says? Why aren't we like David from the Psalms, just daily crying out to God about every area of our lives? You know, this is probably why a lot of us lack power in our lives. Because prayer isn't a priority. And yet, it is so effective and so powerful, right? John MacArthur said it this way, that prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer moves the hand of God. He's listening, he wants to hear from us, and he wants to move on our behalf. And if we're gonna be unstoppable in our mission of making disciples, we gotta get back to our roots and get serious about prayer. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, amen. Let's keep going. Look at verses 44 and 45. Luke goes on and he says this about the early church, that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And he tells us that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And so here's what we learn uh, here in these verses, and that is, number five, that an unstoppable church is devoted to spirit-filled generosity. An unstoppable church is devoted to spirit-filled generosity. Now, I think that in our me-centered consumer culture, it's very difficult for us to wrap our minds around this kind of behavior, right? All things in common, selling all their possessions and helping each other as anyone had need, like what is that? That's wild, right? But it's exactly how the early church lived, right? When they saw a need, man, they sprang into action and they met that need. It it was really just an otherworldly kind of generosity. And I don't know about you, but I feel like every time I stand on this platform and talk about generosity, that there's this kind of hush that goes over the crowd, right? And this heaviness that kind of fills the room. Some of you are uncomfortable right now because I'm talking about giving and generosity, okay? Can we just be honest? I remember as a young believer being like, why is the pastor always talking about generosity? Okay, I've been there, but but I don't know. It's like every time this, this subject comes up, it's just like, Now, I put some thought into it. And what I believe is that the reason that we act this way is because from the time we were little, we always had an attitude about our stuff that looks and sounds a lot like this. There goes the heaviness in the room. Praise the Lord. 
Now that I got you laughing, let me look. Isn't that so true though? That's the attitude that we have in our culture, right? My stuff, my money, mine, 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 mine. But what I want you to see here is that this was not true about the early church. They were generous. In fact, in chapter six, Luke tells us that no one said that any of the things that they owned belonged to him. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Isn't that wild? It's like a wild way of thinking and living. It's just, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. But this was what was true of the early church. And, and let me just also just tell you this, just so that everybody understands clearly what's going on here um, in, in this, this section of the scripture. This idea of you know, selling all your possessions and, and giving everything away to help everyone that is in need, it was not a command or a dictate of the apostles. Okay, you need to understand that. This was, this was not prescriptive. This was not a command. What was it? It was a natural response to what they had experienced. Right? The spirit came down and filled them up. And what did they start doing? They started gathering around God's word. And they started doing life together. And they started praying. And then a natural response was just, just take care of each other. Right, spirit-filled generosity just became the norm for them. And so here's the question that I have for you, Calvary Port St. Lucie. Are we going to be like the early church and have an attitude of spirit-filled generosity or are we gonna be like the seagulls from Finding Nemo and be selfish? (laughs) We gotta answer that question. We gotta make a decision here. And the hard-hitting truth is this, folks. Our attitude toward our assets is a thermometer revealing the truth about our spiritual temperature. What's your spiritual temperature today? Are you cold or are you hot in the area of spirit-filled generosity? Are you cold or are you hot when it comes to your generosity to the ministry of your local church? Are you cold or are you hot when it comes to generosity towards your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? Here's the truth, folks. If we're gonna be a church that's unstoppable in our mission, then we must be devoted to spirit-filled generosity. Romans 12, eight, Paul says this, that to the one who contributes, you should do so in generosity. Then over in 2 Corinthians 9, he says that believers are enriched in every way to be selfish with their stuff and tell everybody, look how God blessed me. Is that what he says? No, we're enriched in every way to be generous in every way. If we're gonna be unstoppable in our mission, we're gonna be devoted to spirit-filled generosity. Now, here's the last thing. And by the way, this last point that I wanna make with you is not something that we need to be devoted to. It's actually a result of our devotion. And it is that an unstoppable church's devotion to its purpose creates FOMO. An unstoppable church's devotion to its purpose creates fear of missing out. How many of you have experienced that in your life? I know I have. I've had my eye on that new Apple Watch that just came out, that big, I I don't even remember what it's called. John Plumbo has one, one of our elders, giant watch face, like, super aggressive, manly thing. I'm like, man, 
I gotta have that thing. I feel like I'm missing out, right? Or that new mountain bike that, that I want. I've had, I've had the same mountain bike for like 18 years, and it's a great bike, but I'm looking around at everybody else, and I'm like, man, everyone has these e-bikes and you know, these full suspension bikes, and I really feel like, like I'm afraid I'm kind of missing out, right? And so I wanna go buy a new bike, you know? How many of you have experienced something like this? It's, that's FOMO, that's FOMO. And why, why is this? Because humans, as humans, we naturally want to be a part of things, right? We wanna know what's going on. We wanna be connected. And so anytime a major event occurs or a new item comes out or, or some you know, big fad hits social media, uh, what happens? People start talking. Hey, did you see the new thing? Right? Did you hear about the new thing? Have you done the new social media challenge, right? And so this FOMO phenomenon happens where we experience fear over missing out and we go watch the video, we go buy the thing, right? We do the challenge and record ourselves looking stupid and then we post it, you know, and so... That's, that's FOMO. And what I want you to see here is that it's exactly what was happening when the early church was born. It's exactly what was happening when the early church was born. Warren Wiersbe said this. He said the early church had a powerful testimony among the unsaved Jews. And not just because of the miracles being done by the apostles, but also because of the way they loved each other within their fellowship and, and the way they served the Lord. And so, listen, God was doing something incredible in this fellowship of believers, so much so that everyone in the community feared that they would miss out on it. Right? I want you to look at verse 43. Look at verse 43. Luke tells us that awe came upon every soul, right? Awe came upon every soul. So, so I, want, I wanna make sure you understand this, right? The Holy Spirit comes down. These people get filled up, right? And, and, and miracles and signs and wonders start being done through the apostles. And, and they, these people start gathering around God's word and they're doing life together and they're taking care of one another and, and they're praying together and, and God is just moving and everybody on the outside is like, what is going on over there? I want in on that, right? I, I, I want in on that. And so awe came upon every soul. Now, now that's interesting, that word awe. In the original language, it's, it's, it's the word phobos, where we get our word phobia from, and it can actually have one of three different meanings. It either means fear, or it means terror, or it means reverence. Which one applies here? Well, I think the key is found in verse 47. It says that they were praising God and having what with the people? Favor. So, Awe came upon the, the people, right? But favor was tied to it, which leads me to conclude that their awe was a reverent awe, right? Does that make sense? Their awe was a reverent awe. Couldn't have been fear or terror. That would have made people run away. But they weren't running away. They were running into what God was doing. They were looking outside with a reverent awe towards what was happening. And they, were, they had a favorable attitude towards the church, right? FOMO had ignited and everybody wanted in on it. And I just gotta ask you something this morning, Calvary Port St. Lucie. Do people on the Treasure Coast want what we have? Do people on the Treasure Coast look in at us and want what we have? Do they see something special happening here, so much so that they show up because they want in on what we have? Are they looking at your life and the way that you live and the way that you behave? And are they wanting what you have? We have to ask this question. 
We have to ask this question, but I'm gonna tell you this morning, if we will stay true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and if we will gather around God's word, and if we will make prayer a priority and do life extraordinarily, and if we will help each other out generously, we will not be able to stop all the people that God is gonna bring here. In fact, we might be forced to add a fourth service or maybe even launch a new campus. We might even have to just tear it all down and build new buildings to house all the people that want in on what we have. And I got a question for you this morning. Are you with us in that? So in closing, I have some challenges for you. And I'm gonna run through these really quick. Number one, I wanna challenge you to share the gospel with one person within the next 30 days. The true gospel. Find somebody that you can with love and grace talk to about their spiritual condition and how the sin in their lives is gonna take them straight to hell unless they follow Jesus. Find somebody and with love, share the gospel with them. Number two, get a hard copy of God's word and start using it, a hard copy. Let me tell you something. I, I'm almost 43, but I think I'm pretty cool. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> no, I, what I mean by that is this, that like I try to stay hip and you know like, like cutting edge with all the things, right? And so, so I'll be honest with you, for years, hard copy, no thank you. I got the Bible app on my phone. I don't know, man, anymore. Like, I, I'm just convinced that there's just like, there's something different about this, about having this. Everybody over 50 clapped. Come on, millennials. Gen Zers or whatever. Anyway, I don't know. I just wanna encourage you. Just try it. Get you a hard copy of, of God's word and start using it, okay? Set it, set it on your nightstand so that when you wake up, it's one of the first things you see and you're reminded to get into it. Carry it with you to work, to church, to your small group. Open it up and follow along. As, as the preacher preaches or as the, the group leader teaches, right? I just get a cop, hard copy of God's word. Number three, start praying with other believers. It's one thing to pray privately. It's a whole new ball game of spirituality to get together with other believers and pray together, okay? So find another believer and say, hey, how can I pray for you? And then, and then tell them how they can pray for you. I really think it'll take your prayer life to the next level. Number four, invite a Christian, a believer, over or out for a meal, okay? This is one of the most Christian things we can do, is eat together, it really is. Number five, begin to practice spirit-filled generosity. And two things there. Number one, give generously to the ministry of your local church. And then number two, find a a need and meet it. I know some of you guys, you got a lawnmower in your garage that you never use because you have somebody else mow your yard. 
hey, be on the lookout for somebody who needs a lawnmower and give it to them. You're never gonna use it, right? That's just like one small example, but begin to practice spirit-filled generosity. And here's the last thing. I wanna encourage you to join a group. And this is really, really, really important, and here's why. Everything that I've taught you today is best accomplished through a small group of people. Do you understand that? You know, can we be about the gospel? Can we gather around God's word? Can we pray, you know, can we, can we give generously here on the weekend? Yeah, we can, but we're limited in, in how we can do that. There aren't many limits when it comes to a small group of people though. Would you please join a group? Would you please join a small fellowship of people and start implementing the God-given purposes that you've heard today? Church, I'm telling you, if we as a fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ here on the Treasure Coast will commit to being devoted to our purpose, we're gonna become unstoppable in the mission that God has us on. Are you with us? Yes. Come on, church, are you with us? Listen, if you're fired up about the mission of making disciples, and if you are committed today to being devoted to our God-given purposes, I wanna invite you to stand to your feet and just shout out, I'm with you, Pastor. Come on. Who's with us? Just stand up to your feet and declare it today in the presence of God and in the presence of all these other believers. I'm with you on this mission. Fort St. Lucie ain't ready. They're not ready. Fort Pierce, all the way to Vero, all the way to Stewart, they're not ready. They're not ready for what God is gonna do here. And I'm so thankful that we're in it together.